Embrace your new beginning with Freedom Federal Credit Union. Get started with a 0% APR for 15 months on visa balance transfers or apply for a debt consolidation loan for an APR as low as 4.99%. With Freedom Federal Credit Union, you can turn your pile of bills into one manageable payment. Learn more at freedomfcu.org. Annual percentage rates are subject to change at any time, and not all applicants will qualify for the lowest rate. Credit approval and membership eligibility requirements apply. For the full list of terms and disclosures, please visit freedomfcu.org. The post-workout glow at Planet Fitness doesn't just feel great. It feels 80s pump-up jam great. Because when you got the glow, there is no stopping what you want to do. And now when you become a PF Black Card member, your glow can be even greater with a free Amazon Halo Fitness Tracker. Get the glow. Sign up for the PF Black Card for $1 down and just $24.99 a month. Bring a friend, enjoy massage chairs, and get a free Amazon Halo View. Deal ends March 15th. 12-month commitment applies. See Home Club for details. Welcome everyone into Garden Views. And this episode, this is a story that has it all. This this should be like a mini-series on Netflix or a limited series on HBO Max. And maybe one day it will be. Maybe Michael K. Lewis will write it. But I don't even know where to start. I all I can tell you it has it all. It's got white collar uh, you know, allegations of crime. It's in the wake of the 2008 financial meltdown in, in the United States. It has prosecutorial misconduct. It has false convictions. It has somebody fighting from in prison. It has more than one trial for the same case, but one's on the federal level and twice indicted on the same level, or, you know, so there's not the double jeopardy technically, which is sort of too cute uh, by half uh, in, in my view, but, you know, our, you know, our system sometimes works that way, and but that's one that's particularly annoying. Um, and we have a dead whistleblower, uh, you know, t- towards uh, an essential part of this story. So it's got everything. And we have it here on Garden Views. And I have to make a bad joke every show. So Viola, here we have it. Our guest is Tony Viola. He is the founder and chief executive officer of the Cleveland-based Reality Corporation of America. He graduated from Georgetown University in Washington, D.C., He has an MBA from the Weatherhead School of Management at Case Western Reserve University. Realty Corporation of America is or was a licensed real estate brokerage and auction service business, had offices in Ohio and Florida, had over 150 team members. And in 2008, Tony was indicted by a multi-jurisdictional mortgage fraud task force, alleging he orchestrated the, quote, nation's largest mortgage fraud scheme, end quote. Following the federal conviction, Tony established his innocence at a second trial, not the first, a second trial using bait stamp federal evidence that the Justice Department suppressed before the first trial. Little side note here. Listen, there's bad cops out there. We all know that. There's bad prosecutors, but there's far less bad prosecutors than bad cops. And then when you get higher level to the the feds and the federal government, usually you get better quality, you know, if nothing else, because the pay is so much better. Um... And the the feds have a sterling reputation of, of you know getting ninety nine percent convictions or you know some some 
amazing statistic like that. Um, this casts a lot of doubt on on to what lengths they will go. Uh, but back to the biography. Um, so there was so the Justice Department suppressed pivotal evidence during the the first trial. Uh, but that was provided by a whistleblower inside the prosecutor's off, office itself, inside the task force uh, office manager, and her name was Dawn Pasella. In 2020, both the FBI and the Justice Department admitted to making materially fa- false statements and sworn affidavits. They admitted it in court. So this is not speculation. This is not someone blowing smoke. Um, about the evidence in Tony's case, and Tony was, was released from jail after a record, uh, a record, a decade of wrongful imprisonment. He has a website. You can read all the details. You can; It's got links to everything. You can see the evidence. Everything is right here. But we have Tony himself. I'm sorry for the long introduction, but I, I really felt like I needed to frame it and tell people just how unusual this show is. Because Garden Views, you know, we tried to find interesting topics and especially interesting legal topics. But this might be the, the aside from the guy who, who started suing state sponsors of, of terrorism, this, this, this might be the most interesting and it might be the most sort of movie of the week kind of thing. So welcome to the show. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks for having me on. And, and to all your listeners, thanks for listening to the story and checking it out. And if anyone wondered why the Justice Department wins 99 percent of their cases, a brief look into what happened here uh, to me and 1,100 other defendants that were prosecuted by this federal state task force will answer that. The, 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 the long and short of it is that these prosecutors are vicious. They will not admit that they're wrong and they engage in win at all costs style litigation. There's really nothing they won't do. So um, I appreciate the introduction and the chance to be here. Yeah, I actually have a, not a friend, but, uh, you know, a friend of my brother's, uh, I know his wife, I've known his wife forever. Her, her older brother was my year and he was, uh, convicted by, oh my God, you're going to know his name. I won't. He was, he was the lead prosecutor in the Southern district of New York. He's, he's now a, a talking head on TV and a private. Harit Barara. That is who it is, yeah. Right. And he was convicted of something. He he worked for someone. He wasn't the guy. There was someone else. They couldn't get to his boss, so they got to him. Uh, and on appeal, they they proved, they convinced an appellate court that whatever he was accused of, whatever he was, whatever, it, it was not a crime. It was, you know, it did not fit into the statute. Whether it was a loophole or, or, or the, you know, the Lincoln Tunnel, I'm not sure. But, you know, so this was another example. And Pre Barar has, you know, one of the, you know, sterling reputations out there. But then again, you know, 25 years ago, so did Rudy Giuliani. So, right. 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 But go on with your, yeah, go on with your story. Because I, I mean, first off, there's anything in your biography that I missed that you think is important, but tell your story. No, let me just, yeah, let me just start from the beginning. And by the way, when you talk about Preet Barara and some of these people, you see, when these prosecutors go on TV a lot and when they have these televised raids, they create a narrative. And they are not, they start with a conclusion. Okay, Tony's a criminal. Tony's a crook. We're going to nail this dude. And then there's really nothing they won't do to, quote, win. It's very dangerous because the government locks themselves early into a case, into narratives that are many times wrong. And they're never willing to go backwards and say, we made a mistake. So it's really dangerous in our country what's going on. But let me just, let me just tell my story. And then the the audience is is who can extrapolate out to the conclusions. But let me just tell you what happened to me. I'm, I'm Tony Viola. I was born in Cleveland, Ohio. Big family here. I was very fortunate to attend Georgetown University. 
have an MBA. I came back to Cleveland to start a business. This is the, considered the Rust Belt or the old part of town. And so my dream was to was to start a business here, create opportunities and and do good things in our community. And so in, in business, you can't get anywhere unless you have a good crew, a good bunch of colleagues. And I had that. We had a, a fun and innovative and creative real estate business. So we're real estate brokers, right? So we got yard signs in the front yard. We're selling houses. We're helping businesses find factories or office buildings to put their businesses in. And over time, the company grew. We started literally with two credit cards in the basement of my house. Literally, the first thing we did was paint some lady's garage for 425 bucks. Um, so we were kind of scrappy, but we built up over time this, this nice business. So fast forward 15 years. Uh, one day, we're, we're in the office and the door at our, at our corporate office, downtown Cleveland, it's always open because we want people to come in, right, for a business. Sure. Well, the, the, the FBI... And this, the state uh, and local officials through this task force, they closed the door, jammed it shut so they could break it down live, breaking news, nation's largest mortgage fraud case. And we've got FBI agents and Cleveland police officers with guns uh, rummaging through our office, demanding to know where the mortgage files are. This is the nation's largest mortgage fraud case. And I was shocked because we're a real estate company. We're not a mortgage business. And I I told the guy, I said, are, are you guys even at the right company? But the go- again, the government had live breaking news. Tony Viola stole $46 million. He orchestrated this massive mortgage fraud scheme. I was indicted in both state and federal court. And they hauled all of our computers out of our company. I remember um, some of our employees were, were crying. Some One lady was got physically sick. I remember just having my head in my hand saying, no matter what happens, they've ruined my reputation. They've destroyed my ability to ever have a business or make a living. Who's going to who's going to trust me? Uh, you know, this presumption of innocence does not exist really in, in a practical sense in the business world. I mean, would you trust me to collect rent and manage one of your real estate properties if I was accused of stealing millions and millions of dollars? So That's probably not. It was it was just awful, really. You know, right, right. Just uh, life just changed in an instant. Everything I had worked for was was shattered. So, anyways, we we tried to pick up the pieces, and I was when I read these indictments, I I couldn't believe it because the government said that I owned a company called Family Title and Transcontinental Lending. I didn't own mortgage companies. We were a real estate business. I never did mortgages, so I refused to say no comment. You know, I watched people on TV. When someone says no comment, what, what do you have to hide? So there was, you know, all these reporters and journalists, you know, wanting to know what's, where's this 46 million bucks, what's going on? Can't really blame them for being there and covering this, right? So I said, look, I don't own a mortgage business. I didn't steal $46 million. And so right off the beginning, the government was upset with me because I sort of stepped on their, their narrative because I refused to live in fear. Uh, and I said, look, this is crazy. Now I was indicted for stealing $46 million. I went, I was arrested, brought to the federal building. And then I was told here, sign here and you can go. And there was no bond. I mean, if you get a DUI, there's a bond, right? I just stole 40. They're saying I'm a threat to public safety. I, I helped crash the economy. If your house is down in value, it's this crook Tony guy. They were saying the crazy, the government was saying the craziest things. If you see Tony Viola at a Starbucks with his briefcase and a legal pad, you know, that's that's not breakfast. That's that's a crime scene right there because, you know, Tony's doing all these shady deals, but there's no bond. So the whole thing just was almost a farce. And I and I refused to 
um, play along. I, I, I told the journalists that I was innocent and we were going to prepare for trial. So anyway, sorry, but they, they were accusing you of stealing $46 million, but they had not yet found any $46 million. So there's not even accounts frozen. So presumably you'd have access to $46 million or something like that. I mean, you can Correct. live forever with a private army in Suriname for $46 million. Yes, and uh, Cleveland's my hometown, and I love it. But if anyone's ever been here in the winter, I mean, this is probably not the place to hang out if you had 46 million bucks. So The point is, you should have been considered a flight risk, but they clearly didn't consider you a flight risk. I mean, they didn't shut my real estate business down, and they didn't freeze any of our accounts. So the whole thing was almost farcical from the beginning. Yet, this federal prosecutor, Mark Bennett, and the state prosecutor, Dan Caceres, they really reveled in in this sort of media adulation that they had. They had a press conference in front of my building. They had a press conference in front of some house that went into foreclosure that our company had nothing to do with. We weren't the broker. <laughs> we had nothing to do with it, but they blamed us anyway. Staging. Right. Um, the feds have these very wide um, and vague conspiracy laws. So you can, you know, oh, you don't have to know your conspirators and uh, you don't even have to know what you're doing is is illegal. So, I, I mean, the, 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 but I, but they came after me. I was the target. So, you know, the first thing I did was I hired a criminal attorney and I said, look, we've got to go down there to the prosecutor's office. I want to bring them my tax returns. I want my real estate attorney and my real estate accountant, my company accountant to be, be there. I want to waive any privilege. I want to give the, these prosecutors just basic, forget mortgage fraud or whatever, just factual information to show that I don't own family title. How does the government not know what businesses I own? But, but they said, oh, no, no, we don't meet with you. You're a target of the investigation. So you can stick your um, paperwork or whatever you want to bring us, you know, we don't want to hear it. And so again, they locked themselves into this, this false narrative and would not veer from it. Well, listen, I went ballistic and, and I, I kept telling the media that these guys in the U S attorney's office here in Cleveland, how do you indict somebody and not know what business somebody owns? And what is this raid? I mean, we had SWAT teams and guns. How about a subpoena? What if, if they would have called, I would have given them all of our company's information. You know, I felt I had an obligation to be a responsible steward of our business. I have all these employees that are making a living here. So I would have gladly said, hey, look, I'm happy to share whatever. We don't do mortgages. We're not involved with mortgage loans. But this media coverage was just almost got uncorked. And it was just these prosecutors loved it. I mean, the most dangerous place in America. It was in talk Between Mark Bennett and, or Dan Caceres, these prosecutors, and a TV camera. I mean, they... Caceres almost ran over a lady in a wheelchair. I was in court one day and one of the local TV channels started setting up the lights. And he he, he almost ran this lady over to, to run over to the reporter to see if they would interview him, too. So anyway, the government creates this narrative. I got no choice but to prepare for trial. And then when the government's case starts falling apart, I'll tell you what they did next. But I didn't know if you had any questions first before we get to the, the no, start of the misconduct. I mean, it's just amazing. I, you know, the, the fact that they don't consider you a flight risk is is strange. I mean, I mean, there's only two reasons for it. They really didn't consider you a flight risk, or they just figured leave the real estate open and he's going to continue to, you know, tie, you know, make his own noose. I, I, I just uh, when you first told your attorneys, I want to, I want to waive privilege. I want to give all the documents. I mean, my reaction is first they went white as a ghost, and and like every hair on the top of their head like went up like they were shot by lightning, and and. Then after they calm down, want to know what their reaction. But it doesn't matter because the prosecutors didn't want to. But as a as a case in point or or a point of fact, okay, all lawyers are officers of the court, right? But 
That just means we have to operate within the bounds of the rules of professional conduct and ethics. So a defense attorney can do a, a whole lot more things than, you know, they can argue speculative defenses and things like that. The prosecutors are really officers of the court. They have badges. They, they have the ability to arrest. I mean, so they have a duty to act in good faith and to protect the public. And that also means to look at potential exculpatory evidence. So when they're locked and loaded, as you say, into this narrative and they're, and they're refusing to look at any, everything else, that, that's almost a lack of good faith, a lack of their duty as officers of the court per se. It probably doesn't happen or get said enough but that, that you know that that was the first time because it sounds like these guys just want to do anything to get a promotion and get to Chicago or New York or one of the more glamorous offices right i mean i mean first of all this rush to indict was ridiculous because they didn't even know what businesses i owned so this was yeah. a real slapdash affair i mean first thing is you got to have basic facts i mean the us attorney could pull tax returns the irs was on the involved with this task force i mean so the whole thing was a was a, just a half-assed affair but the dan casaris way of prosecuting people he's he's been doing this for 30 years we're going to indict you on 475 felonies but if you want to plead guilty to one you know would you just go to jail for a couple of years you can't really win so i mean the, these people have the sort of modus vivendi of just of, of how they operate. You know, we're going to indict you. We're going to threaten your wife, you know, and we won't indict her. We'll let you keep some money. You go to jail. And, you know, that's that's how the Justice Department and that's how the state prosecutor have sort of built their career by people saying, you know, hey, I can't fight. I can't deal with it. I mean, they would drag cases out. People would miss work. You'd be sitting in some courtroom. And finally, people are just they, they run out of money. They lost their job. They the humiliation or embarrassment or reputational damage is so great that most people just give up. I'm not saying I'm right. I wasn't most people. I told my attorneys, listen, I don't care if I go to jail for 500 years and die there. I am not pleading guilty. I do not own family title. This is a provable fact. I did not. It was not involved in mortgage origination. I didn't trick any banks into making any no money down mortgage loans. And the lawyers were shocked and said, you know, you can't be saying this on TV. You're angering these people. You're upsetting Mark Bennett. I'm supposed to worry about the federal prosecutor's ego. I'm like, listen, these people are destroying everything I work for in my entire life. I have no criminal history. I don't have people angry with me. We built an honest business and I'm not playing the games. And they said, well, you know, you don't understand how the feds work. And I said, well, they don't understand how Tony Viola works. Maybe other people plead guilty or apologize or take responsibility. But my position is that the United States government can take this indictment and shove it up there. You know where? I mean, I don't know what else. I didn't know how else to cut through the, the crap with these lawyers to say, look it. We are going to go to trial. We're not going to entertain plea. I'm not, I wouldn't plead guilty and go to jail for an hour. Again, I'm not saying I'm right. I'm not saying this is a good strategy for everybody. I'm not giving advice. I'm just saying me. There is no way I was going to do it. I've just, and this hysteria during the financial crisis of people being angry, okay, mm -hmm. and wanting something to be done. And instead of being truthful, you know, our government is not truthful. I mean, instead of just coming out and saying, look, JP Morgan and Citibank and these companies engaged in some shady loan origination and mortgage practices, and it almost crashed the economy. We're not going to prosecute them, though, because if your ATM card doesn't work or you, your retirement money is evaporated, it's not going to be better for the economy. So we're not we're not prosecuting, not because we think they're virtuous, but because we think it'll do more damage. But the government's not honest. So then they prosecuted realtors and other people to blame them for what banks did. And then later, 
the government reached these multi-billion dollar lender settlements where the banks admitted all this misconduct, which was at variance with the case that they proceeded to, in, in, to, against me and many others. So what happens is at some point, um, you know, these people are very powerful and they're very arrogant. So, but, but at some point they kept, somebody must've watched one of my clips on TV and they said, maybe this guy doesn't own this company or maybe he's crazy, but why don't we look? Yeah. And so they started realizing that their case could fall apart. And that's when the misconduct started. This is before trial. Of course, we didn't know it at the time. But let me say this. One of the ways you prove innocence in a in a mortgage fraud case is you've got to get the loan submissions contemporaneously with when they were submitted. Now, this case was five years after, six years after these transactions were closed. Who remembers what you put on some piece of paper, you know, five years later? But if you have contemporaneous documents from these mortgage companies, we could established that the lender file, not my file, because I could put anything in my file, right? But the lender file contained truthful and accurate information. And also these mortgage company computers would be important because it would then establish that I didn't receive any money and that I wasn't involved. So a great defense would be, hey, we're going to read the uh, uh, sports section over here while the prosecutor is talking about all this mortgage fraud because Tony didn't get a cent and he wasn't involved. So uh, someone got shot in Anchorage, Alaska last night. Why didn't we prosecute Tony Viola? Because he wasn't involved. So this, so, so the, the, those computers were central to our defense. And then guess what? Mark Bennett comes to court one day and says, poof, we lost the computers that we seized in televised raids. They went to 12 companies. They seized computers. And we don't have them anymore. We're really sorry. And so right then and there, a fair judge would say to the government, hey, you can't be losing exculpatory evidence in criminal cases that are central to someone's defense, because I had no other way of obtaining that information. So in other words, if they lost the witness interview with one of my colleagues, the government could say, well, go enter. They're right down the hall from you. Go right. But I had no way to get these computers that the government seized from companies I didn't own and wasn't involved with. And now they're gone. Poof. Well, we recently got a sworn statement. All this stuff's on our website, by the way. You, you can decide for yourself. You don't have to believe me. The freetony.com. Yeah, that evidence locker has got all of this stuff. But anyway, so re- more recently, a witness said that they were ordered to lie uh, that they, and claim they never brought computers. Uh, otherwise, they were going to indict his wife and put his kids in foster care. So this is the United States of America. When that paper says United States of America versus Tony Viola, let me tell you, the government is powerful and they will crush an individual, the government will use all power and all means, legal or illegal, to, to crush. So, so the first thing that happens is, poof, the computers that we need in our defense are missing. The federal judge finds it amusing. Don Nugent, oh, the fabled computers. Where are the computers? Mr. Bennett, where are the computers? I mean, they've made a big joke about it. So, I mean, we have like a plea agreement factory in our country. You know, indictment, plead guilty, go to jail for three years, get out. and It's no big deal. But I, I sort of was the... Um, sand in the gears of this thing. And so I've made it kind of stop and say, wait a minute, where's the exculpatory evidence? I'm not pleading guilty. I'm not, I want to go to trial. So anyway, so the first thing you do is they destroy the computers. The next thing that happens is uh, we start getting rumors back then. We established it later, but the prosecutor, Dan Caceres, starts having a romantic relationship with the witness, this Catherine Clover, who's my co-defendant, who bought all the houses at issue in these in these cases. And so, so Caceres begins a romantic relationship almost immediately with this lady, sends her to law school. She becomes his paralegal. She's like part of the prosecution team. We've got 600 pages of emails you can read. They're talking about lying in court, altering documents, 
There's undisclosed financial benefits to the witness. So, so Bennett in the federal trial puts this lady on a stand as a fact witness. She's just going to come in and she's going to tell you what she knows. Well, it turns out that she's not really a fact witness. She's in meetings with other government witnesses. She's accessing all of the evidence in the case. Complete fraud on the court. Any fair judge would go ballistic and say there's no greater insult. You you mentioned officer of the court. You know, the jurors are trying to do the right thing, right? I mean, imagine yourself being a juror. You know, some guy could go to jail or not. You're trying to weigh evidence. And Mark Bennett forgot to mention, oh, by the way, this lady is actually in a romantic relationship with my colleague, Dan Caceres, the other prosecutor. And then the other thing is, Clover's committing perjury. They know it. Mark Bennett puts in writing that Clover committed perjury at my trial. Well, that triggers a duty to withdraw false testimony if the prosecutor knows. So these guys put the craziest stuff in writing. Oftentimes the government will say, The post-workout glow at Planet Fitness doesn't just feel great. It feels 80s pump-up jam great. Because when you got the glow, there is no stopping what you want to do. And now when you become a PF Black Card member, your glow can be even greater with a free Amazon Halo Fitness Tracker. Get the glow. Sign up for the PF Black Card for $1 down and just $24.99 a month. Bring a friend, enjoy massage chairs, and get a free Amazon Halo View. Deal ends March 15th. 12-month commitment applies. See Home Club for details. Sign up for the Planet Fitness Black Card for $1 down, $24.99 a month, and get a free Amazon Halo Fitness Tracker. Deal ends March 15th. Get the glow. 12-month commitment applies. See Home Club for details. Well, we didn't know they were lying and the defense had a chance to cross-examine and that's up to the jury to determine. Where Bennett actually says, you know, the recklessness and invincibility of the prosecutors is, is really shown by their own emails or their own words where they know the witness is lying. And instead of saying, let's have a mistrial or let's vacate Tony's conviction, what do they do? They keep using this lady in other cases. Again, she'll say what they need of them to say to win. So she becomes their go-to grand jury witness. Let's go indict more people. Nobody thinks there's anything wrong with this inside the U.S. Attorney's Office. That's another day at the office. We're going to prosecute more people. we got a quota. we got to get 50 of these cases a week. This is insane. And then you tell me, because before the first trial is when Dawn Pacella enters the scene. So we could talk about that, but I didn't know if I was maybe going a little too quickly or you had any questions at this point. The whole thing's just amazing. I mean, with the computers where all of this evidence is, I mean, they're like the smoking guns. It's, and it's, it's almost like you have a shooting case with, you know, you know someone shot with a magazine worth, worth of, uh, you know, automatic you know, bullets from, this, from the same gun or guns, and all of the bullets go missing. So nothing matches to the ballistics. They just right. have ballistics that say, hey, they matched. Well, where are the bullets? Don't know. Uh, you know, but trust us. I mean, that 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 is incredible. And then you, you've got this this witness who, you know, is basically wooed, you know, accidentally or intentionally seduced to the other side and, you know, and, and being sent to law school. I mean, that that's, you know, depending on which school you go to, that's a you know, that's tens of thousands of dollars, maybe hundreds of thousands of dollars, right. you know, plus a job with, you know, with with the federal government and a career. I mean, you know, you know, somebody less devious than me might, might, uh, or more devious than me might, might call that bribery. Um, so this is, it sounds like you were like the beta test. Like they, they felt that like you were a local guy and maybe easy to push around and you were going to be the tip of the spear to see if the strategy would work on bigger players. And, and you were like, nah, you, you picked the long, wrong local businessman. 
Yeah, well, for, well, for sure. I'm sure they, they've, I, well, we found out later, they absolutely thought I would plead guilty and they never thought it would go to trial. So they sort of, you know, the old saying, the first rule of holes is to stop digging, you know, put the shovel down, but they never stopped digging because once they started committing misconduct to win the case, then they really, then they had to cover it up. And it just became this catastrophe. Incidentally, Catherine Clover is a little bit of a, uh, a victim here too, because a defendant can't really consent to a sexual relationship with a prosecutor who who could put her in jail for 10 or 20 years. And so Caceres has this history of, quote, rescuing the damsels in distress. He he finds these women and he uses his power. Mark Bennett does the same thing, too, where he says to an intern, well, if you want to work here, you have to have sex with me. I mean, these guys like use their position. of That's in the Justice Department report, by the way, about yeah, Bennett. That, that's creepy to Epstein. I it's mean, right. It is. It is. Creepy He's to got, Right. So if you're if you're a criminal, imagine being a, a I think Clover was about 26 years old at the time. So, you know, Caceres is 55 and married. Right. He's a right. law and order guy. So, you know, all this. But then he's he uses his position to extract sex. I don't think she could really consent because he could have put her in jail for for 10 or 20 years. So it's real tricky. But the see what happened was the perjury of Clover becomes the strategy after the computers are gone, because when the when the documents from the transactions are gone, then you can have witnesses tell whatever story you want. So Clover says, well, I didn't want to lie, but I called Tony and he said a lie. And there's no real way to refute that. If you had the documents, which later Dawn Pasella gave us, it said she had no money. So where, where's the fraud to say I have zero income, right? Or I'm not making a down payment. I'm supposed to go to jail because I'm tricking banks into making loans and people aren't making a down payment. And it turned out that it said she wasn't making a down payment. So in other words, it's up to the bank to accept or reject the loan. They could have said no. So, but so without the computers, uh, it was hard. To, it was impossible to cross-examine banks who claimed sure. they were victims of fraud, or Clover when she said, "I lied on my loan applications." That's why there's two trials with the completely opposite results. Because at the second trial, we had all this stuff. So um, maybe we should we should jump into to what happened with Don Pasella. Do you think? Yeah, go right ahead. Yeah, I, okay. I, I mean, I think that you paused me. You saw me writing it down and stuff. That is just questions that I don't want to forget to later, but I think they're probably more like end of story stuff. Sure. So yeah, please go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. So what happened was at our company, so my employees were shocked by this. Um, they were interviewed by Mark Bennett and they said, look, this dude is at the real estate company all the time. We actually wish he ran, he went to some mortgage company or somewhere else. He's like a, a workaholic. Um, he does not own other companies. And Mark Bennett and Dan Caceres yelled at these people. Don't ever say that. You can't say that. Don't say Tony's innocent. They threaten people. Uh, we, we don't say that. So this is not exactly a search for the truth, right? So we had a lot of people left immediately when I was indicted. I understand. They went and got jobs elsewhere. They said, sorry, Tony, we can't stick around for this. I've got car payments and a wife and tuition, and I, I just can't, can't do it. Can't be mad at them. I understood. But some said, no, we'll stay. But, Tony, you better be fighting and you, you promising not to plead guilty because we're telling people that this is going to work out and you're innocent. And we're sticking by you. And I said, yeah. And so some of my friends then said, okay, we're going to set up some happy hours, some little legal defense fundraisers. You and your attorneys can give an update about what's going on. If people have information, if they want to be a witness, they want to be interviewed by the defense team. So we had these, my friend, uh, Brendan Walton here in Cleveland has a little place called AJ Rocco's downtown. So he said, Tony, you guys use it. Uh, you know, we'll give you some, you know, whatever, a couple of, uh, appetizer trays, you know, whatever, let's have a happy hour, hang in there sort of as a show of support. So what happens is at one of these events, I think it was the first one, actually, uh, Dawn Pasella shows up 
And she is a uh, actually gorgeous, but brilliant young lady who says, hey, I'm working with local defense attorneys on similar cases. I'm a graduate student studying criminal defense. And, you know, your case is interesting to us. And I have some information that we could share with you. Maybe you share with us. And I said, sure, it sounds good. I didn't have any friends that were in this field. I wasn't, I didn't have any friends that were in the criminal justice. I didn't, no one really knew anything. We're a bunch of real estate uh, salespeople and construction services people. This was just, we weren't in, we didn't know anything. So she was real knowledgeable. And so we we became friends. We went out and grabbed a snack and just talked a little bit. And she brought me some information, helpful information. Maybe I could have found it on my own somehow, but it seemed like she was helpful to me. So I trusted her. Okay. I started telling her about the case. When the government started producing discovery, I didn't, my lawyer said, here, go through it and see what you make of it. And I wasn't sure how to do that. So I, I called Dawn and I said, what do you, oh, she said, oh, well, you have to get the evidence organized in two ways, count by count, like what relates to what, and then you need to organize it by your theory of the case. So like your theory is that the banks signed off on these loans. So you have to get like documents that support that. So one document might be in two different places. And so I was like, oh my God, listen, can I pay you? Can you help me with this? And she's like, well, I'll come and help you. I don't, you don't have to really pay me. So she came to my office and starts helping me organize the case. And over the next, say, 18 months, while they're looking for lost computers and there's no trial yet, and my business is slowly being destroyed, um, Dawn and I become friends and she's, we're brainstorming about the case. Meanwhile, I didn't know, but she later came forward and told me she was actually recording a, a con- one conversation with my attorney and conversations with me about our defense trial preparation. Now, if, completely illegal, Okay. So, by the way, this is why adding rules that prosecutors have to follow don't affect any criminal justice reform, because they don't follow the rules. There's enough rules already that all the stuff we were talking about already, destroying evidence, it's against the rule, California versus Trombetta and Youngblood. There's all these rules that the government has to preserve exculpatory evidence and, and having a sexual relationship with a witness is a fraud on the court. It's a blatant conflict of interest. Clover's actually an advocate witness. She's actually a member of the prosecution team. All this is illegal. But so anyway, that's why more rules don't don't change this. So you have to put these dudes in jail to put Mark Bennett in jail that he would understand. See, that, anyway, was, that was my question. I was going to ask at the end. Where are these prosecutors now? Have they been charged with anything? Have they been publicly chastised, disgraced? What, what's the story? Well, Mark Bennett has has engaged in in straight out sexually predatory behavior for for years he did it at the Ohio Attorney General's office, was fired. He did it before that in private practice at a law firm called Weston Heard. And then they, they, they fail and then get promoted. So then he became a U.S. attorney because he's buddies with a guy named Jim Petro, who was the former Ohio Attorney General. Finally, an, a 23-year-old intern said enough and, and reported him. So Mark Bennett is in the process of being disbarred for lying to the Justice Department, using his government computer to troll uh, women for sex, and then lying about it. So let's hope Mark Bennett gets... Uh, indicted. We, we've asked the, the Discipline Council to expand uh, their investigation into him to cover this Catherine Clover stuff and the Dawn Pacella stuff. So far, they've refused, but we're trying. Uh, Caceres, Caceres I mean, is... I'm sorry. sorry. The, the, I mean, listen, I don't want to minimize the sexual harassment stuff. That is horrendous. And in, in this day and age, we know how horrendous it is. But I would say that because the prosecutorial misconduct can touch everyone and everything... That might be the bigger issue. It may not be the sexy thing, no pun intended, but the prosecutorial, I mean, ignoring evidence, destroying evidence, that, you know, be, being being a perv, being creepy, 
you can never eradicate that factor or you can only hope. But, you know, I know a bunch of prosecutors and I know a bunch of U.S. attorneys and assistant U.S. attorneys. I know state attorneys who have been on loan to the prosecutor's office. I know some FBI agents and other federal officers. I'm 98% sure none of them would ever do anything even close to this. You can never be 100% sure with anyone. I hope they wouldn't. I think they wouldn't. I, I don't think this is the norm. And because it should not be the norm, and hopefully because it isn't, this kind of behavior should be processed. He should be on the other end of that of that spear for this, as should the the other gentleman as well. I don't even call him a gentleman. Um, the other the other dude. But anyway, yeah, I don't I don't want to hijack your story though. Well, no, you're exactly right. There has to be accountability by incredibly powerful people because, you know, in America, we have something called prosecutorial discretion. It's essentially unchallengeable. I mean, a prosecutor could say, well, we're going to use Tony as our informant. We're not going to prosecute him, but you're going to testify against this person. So like in my case, I was the target and went to jail for a decade and they wanted to put me in jail for 20 more years at the second trial. But but um, so, so this discretion means that you really do have to have honorable people in these powerful jobs, you know. The most powerful person in the in the country is not President Biden. It's your local DA because if they decide to come after you. That changes your life more than uh, changing the capital gains tax rate or the electric vehicle subsidy or, or whatever public policy is being made. So it's it's very scary that Bennett was doing this for so long. It's also scary that that it took a, a young lady, an intern, to report it, and that his colleagues in the U.S. Attorney's Office overlooked this. This is a real issue in Cleveland. We've been having real problems in the U.S. Attorney's Office here, where that we cover. For each other to a far greater degree, law enforcement says, "See something, say something, you know, take action," but they don't do it when it, their own colleagues involved. So it's a problem. Not at all. Uh, but now that Bennett's gone, and Bennett was sort of Caceres's protector inside the he sort of interface with the FBI and U.S. Attorney. So let's see if this whole thing implodes. But up till today, the U.S. Attorney is still defending Mark Bennett at taxpayer expense and litigation that we have going, and it's it's inappropriate. Um, anyway, but I hope to God this doesn't happen uh, with with other people. And I'm not saying every prosecutor is a is a bad person. I'm just saying that we have proof of misconduct on a severe level. And lastly, well, this the is this sexual nothing inc- can be more personal to you than something that would personally happen. You spent a decade in prison, uh, and you probably spent tons of money. And imagine the and all the stress and 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 sure. every relationship you had and rebuilding your professional reputation. So. I, listen, I understand why this is personal to you because it is, <laughs> you know. Right. But remember, the other thing, too, is that the prosecutor's office is who prosecutes sex crimes. So if you're a, the victim of a sex crime, you, you're supposed to go to the prosecutor's office and report that. And so this type of behavior going on inside the prosecutor's office is also extremely extraordinarily damaging because it, 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 it discourages people from actually coming forward. But let me go back to sure. uh, where we were at. So Dawn Pacella... Um, is, is is taking these voice recordings about our trial preparation and then providing them to Bennett and Caceres so they can get, you know, essentially confidential defense trial strategy information in our trial preparation. Now, we offered to meet with them and they said, no, we don't want to meet with you, right, because I'm a target. But then they sent this young lady who had no undercover training. It really put her life at jeopardy. What if I was some violent guy and I found out that she was wearing a wire, right? I mean, so they, they send her on this this crazy undercover mission that's illegal because in America, once you're indicted, if the government wants to speak with you, they call you down to the prosecutor's office and your attorney is present and you sit there and you have a debriefing or whatever. You decide to answer questions or you proffer. There's something called a reverse proffer where the government can say, look, this is some of the evidence we have. You may want to consider a guilty plea, but they, they wouldn't do that 
right. in my case. So instead, sent a instead spy into the defense team, and which you cannot do. There's there's no such thing as an undercover officer in the defense attorney's office. Correct. And it would be akin to me planning a bug inside the U.S. Attorney's Conference Room and say, man, I'd love to hear what these prosecutors are talking about. And I'd love to, you know, hear when they're interviewing witnesses. So so what they did was they brought Clover in and sort of made her part of the prosecution team. And she's meeting with other witnesses. Then you got Dawn wearing a wire to try to figure out our trial strategy. And the reason they were doing this is they were worried that they might lose the case. So this is another example of why these guys win 99 percent of their cases. This is a big task force. There's FBI agents. Um, I have a private investigator named Bob Frederick. Bob's a former FBI agent. He hit the ceiling when he first started realizing all this. And he said, look, when I was in the bureau, there's no way this would have gone on. Somebody would have put an end to it. Somebody would have stood up and said, we are not having a 24-year-old young lady with no undercover training engage in some illegal operation to spy on defense trial preparation. And he, he said, and I believe Bob, he said, look, I would have told my boss and I would have said in 24 hours, I'm going to tell the judges in this case that I've just become aware of something that's improper and it has to stop right now. But the, but this sort of get along, go along way where nobody wants to, you know, poke the bear and nobody wants, it's a, sort of this bureaucratic, friendly, nicey, nice stuff that nobody wants to speak up or speak out is, is also dangerous because it creates this group think. And the other thing that was going on, we found this out later, but you know, I'm guilty because they say so. Right. So this idea of due process and all this to some of these people when they get all fired up and they're on press conferences and everything. I mean, their attitude is, look, this dude is a slickster. He committed all these crimes. I'll be darned if we let this Tony guy get off on some technicality. We're going to smash this dude. And so they, they feel like they're on the side of good. And then taking these extreme measures with the computers or with Dawn, it seems justifiable in this worldview that you're doing something good for the public. In fact, this is undermining the country because it's, it's, it's ignoring the Constitution. It's undermining, you know, all these exonerations are very damaging to any public confidence in the fair administration of justice. You know, if the public thinks that some guy in jail may or may not actually be guilty, this destroys the entire confidence in our country and our government. And there's no more important use of government power than the prosecutorial power because it incarcerates people or executes people in some cases. So the fact that it's not being properly administered is, is a grave threat to all all people, not not just this is not just a oh Tony. And remember, the case against me was almost a carbon copy of a case against over a thousand other criminal defendants where we tricked lenders into making no money down loans, that any foreclosures were our fault, that we need to pay these lenders back all these millions of dollars that we stole. Uh, and so so the the, the case against me, and the evidence in my case is widely applicable. And there were people who pled guilty. They said, I don't have the money to pay an attorney. I can't fight these people. I can't fight the United States of America. I'm just going to plead guilty and hope that it's not too bad. And if I have to go to jail for six months or a year or two years, I, I, it sucks. But I can't win and I don't have the money to fight anyway. Uh, and, these, and, and I can't beat this steamroller that's coming down the street, you know, that's on TV all the time. And I think the defense lawyers were intimidated, quite frankly, because... You know, this was not some random case where I went to a bar and beat some guy up or something. They targeted me. They raided my office. They had the cameras. So what happens is I think the defense attorneys were were fearful. They saw the government wanted me bad. And I think that they um, were fearful of, of putting up too much of a fight about some of this stuff, because I think they knew about this affair with Clover. And some of these attorneys just they just didn't 
you know, they want to have good relations with the prosecutor's office because most people plead guilty or maybe they are guilty. So I, I just think this thing took on a life of its own that was was crazy. But but Don Basella wearing a wire to get my trial uh, pri- uh, strategy sessions was was unbelievable. And the other thing that happened, too, concerning Dawn is she's inside the prosecutor's office. She's the person who's providing the evidence to defense attorneys. She's logging the evidence. She did what was called deconfliction. So real quick on the task force, it's this amalgam of federal, state, and local law enforcement. And so if an FBI agent wants to interview somebody, like let's say they're going to go interview Tony, they were going to call Dawn first and say, hey, has anyone else interviewed the guy? Oh yeah, a local detective did. Oh, can I get that interview? Or is this guy a target? Is this guy cooperating? You know, what's the story? So Dawn was involved with all of these law enforcement personnel. And she also was involved with meetings with government witnesses and some of these lenders. And some of the lenders came into the prosecutor's office and they they said, look, we allow these loans. And, the, and Bennett and Caceres blew their top and said, oh, you can't say that. So what happened was, let me, this is the craziest thing. So the, the, the banks weren't interviewed by the government until a month before my federal trial. So the government is alleging all this criminality and all these victims, but they never even talked to the supposed victims until three weeks before the first trial started. So this is not what's supposed to happen in law enforcement. In other words, normally I come home, oh my God, someone is shot in my, I'm calling the police. So first crime, one, okay, two, investigation. Here it's investigation in search of a crime. And then the criminal activity actually takes place within the investigation itself to, to, to find the crime to put us in jail. So when the banks come in, remember, Dawn is an idealist, okay? She's an idealist about justice. She wanted to work for the prosecutors because she wanted to, she told me, I'm going to be the spokesperson for people who don't have a voice. What if a seven-year-old is raped? What if an elderly person is scammed? Uh, I, I want to, we're the voice of people who are victims of crime. So she went into this job with great idealism and a sense of doing good things and helping the community. And then she's seeing things that just were jarring to her. And she was brilliant. So she could look at these documents and say, whoa, this loan application doesn't comport with what we're saying on TV. So the fact that she was intelligent and really understood what these mortgage, which most people probably wouldn't know what the heck this is. And then that she's in these meetings. Well, when she was in a meeting with this lender, she confronted uh, Dan Casares and Mark Bennett and said, why are you guys prosecuting Tony and all these people when the guy just told you that they authorize and allow some of these mortgage loans? Doesn't that undermine what we're saying? And they yelled at her and, and, and threatened her. And that's the point at which she started actually taking or rounding up documents that she thought should be produced to defendants, me and others, and making copies of it inside the prosecutor's office. And before those computers went poof, she actually had some of those files too. So now we have a crazy situation where Dawn, who helped the government make their trial exhibits and sat in all these meetings, is concerned they're not producing evidence and then is making copies and stashing it somewhere because she's concerned that innocent people are going to go to jail. She's been a double agent. She She's flipped herself, but not right. usually you flip for the prosecution. She's flipped against the prosecution, but Correct. mostly because she believes the prosecution should act properly and she doesn't feel that they are so but something happens along the way uh to her right right so let me let me fast forward so then go to the federal trial we don't have the documents we can't really cross-examine the government paints this picture of fraud tony's involved somehow guilty so there's a guilty verdict i'm not sentenced yet 
Dawn comes forward after the verdict and, you know, short version says, I got to come and talk to you. And she's very upset. In fact, the first time she was so upset, she couldn't even tell me what was on her mind. I'm like, you got to tell me, please. My life is being ruined. I'm going to go to jail. I don't have time for this. Just, just, just tell me. And she can't even tell me she's so upset. And then later she calls me a couple of days later and says, look, I kind of wrote this out. Don't interrupt me. Uh, and then she tells me that she was wearing a wire, that the government invaded our trial preparation, that there's proof of my actual innocence, not reasonable doubt. She said, there's no such thing as reasonable doubt. We have innocence. She says that her name was forged on evidence logs, that she's been um, amassing this documents in my case. And she gets together with me and she says, look, we can't just file this in court. You're going to have to use this at your second trial, which was coming up, by the way. So the first trial, guilty, sentencing, and then the second trial was going to start. She's like, at the second trial, we can get this out in the public domain. If we file it now, they'll probably indict me and say, I gave it to you. And where'd you get this? And we'll seal it. So she was very concerned. She also thought that the documents needed to be explained at a trial. So she said, I could be a witness at your second trial. I could explain why I have them, that they're authentic, why they're relevant, that I don't have an obligation to hide exculpatory evidence, that I shouldn't have worn the wire and I feel bad about it, but I, I can make it right by just coming forward. And so in America, supposedly you have the right to go to court and testify, right? And that's the mm-hmm. free right. And so so, so fast forward, I'm, I, I tell the federal judge I'm innocent at sentencing. I don't tell him I have all this stuff from Dawn, but I tell him I'm innocent. She had come to my house and we organized for the second trial, made all these, she brought like defendant exhibit number stickers and all this stuff. I mean, she was a genius. I don't know how to do any of this. She's like, Tony, you got to do the second trial yourself. You can't have a lawyer because the lawyer is obligated to tell the prosecutor you have all this evidence. But if it's just you, we'll make these exhibits. Someone will bring them. I'll be your last witness. You prove innocence first. We're and then we do misconduct. The post-workout glow at Planet Fitness doesn't just feel great. It feels 80s pump-up jam great. Because when you got the glow, there is no stopping what you want to do. And now when you become a PF Black Card member, your glow can be even greater with a free Amazon Halo Fitness Tracker. Get the glow. Sign up for the PF Black Card for $1 down and just $24.99 a month. Bring a friend, enjoy massage chairs, and get a free Amazon Halo View. Deal ends March 15th. 12 month commitment applies. See Home Club for details. Sign up for the Planet Fitness Black Card for $1 down, $24.99 a month, and get a free Amazon Halo Fitness Tracker. Deal ends March 15th. Get the glow. 12 month commitment applies. See Home Club for details. Pardon? Where's the second trial? Is it in the state court? In the state court in Cleveland, yeah, blocked from the federal building. Yes. Okay. So, so I'm in, right. so so I'm in prison. Facing, that's why you're found guilty in one, but you're still facing another trial simultaneously because it, it wasn't an appeal of the federal. This is in the state court. I assume at some point you're going to tell me that you appealed the federal uh, uh, judgment yes. as well. But we had to file the federal appeal before the second trial started. So that created all kinds of procedural issues where it took 10 years of prison until we finally were able to be released from jail because I had this valid conviction and valid acquittal. And it took a long time to get all this stuff undone. And the conviction is still not undone. They terminated my sentence, they admitted lying and let me go. But I'm still a lady named Kim Corral, who's a brilliant attorney here in Cleveland, is, is trying to vacate the federal conviction and have an evidentiary hearing so we can present the proof of innocence in my case, which... The feds have been fighting for a long time, but I think now, hopefully, we've got Yale University Appellate Law Clinic helping me with a case about evidence. We've got this attorney, Kim Corral. We've got a big crew. A lot of other people are working together that were, feel that they were wrongfully prosecuted. In the Nation Army. 
building. It's a, it's a peasant's revolt. Right. It's not what the U.S. attorney expected. They thought we were a bunch of nerds that were just going to plead guilty. But revolt with Yale, but, you know. <laughs> well, yeah, they came on board. It started as a peasant's revolt. It's got credibility with, with Yale and, and others now. Uh, and Kim Corral is a very accomplished attorney. She's been at the White House. I mean, she's also known for vacating wrongful conviction. So, again, we just want justice for, for Dawn. So, so now, so I go to, I'm in prison, and then the second trial starts. And Dawn was very clear. She said, Tony, if you mix up innocence and misconduct, you'll lose. This is a brilliant insight. She said, we can prove that you're innocent with these contemporaneous documents. Forget reasonable doubt. We're going to tell the jury, forget reasonable doubt. We're going to prove innocence. But you're going to segregate innocence and misconduct because if you allege misconduct and you're guilty, people really don't care. Maybe they should about constitutional rights. But, you know, you go up and go blow up a building and kill a bunch of kids and then argue that the police screwed up the search warrant. And nobody cares. Right. Right. I mean, so you cannot come out in your trial and talk about misconduct. Plus, I have personal knowledge of it. I was there. I worked there. I saw it. I know what Bennett and Caceres did. I can testify. You really can't. You don't have personal knowledge. You've heard it from me. You have hunches. Let me do the misconduct. Let's prove that you're innocent first. I'll be the last witness. And then we'll establish misconduct. And I promised her that I would help. I said, look, I'm going to, if I win and I'm released, we're going to work on all these other cases. We'll set up some little office. We'll get a coffee pot and two chairs and a table and a computer. And we'll make all this evidence available to everybody. That's what she wanted to do. That's what she felt would sort of let her make amends and move forward with her life. It wasn't like she was doing me some great personal favor, Tony's so great. She wanted all of these cases reviewed, particularly where Catherine Clover was the grand jury witness or involved in the cases and inside working on them because she thought it was a blatant conflict of interest to have the prosecutor within a sexual relationship with the witness. So anyway, that was our plan. So the second trial starts, and it's the complete opposite of the first trial. Why? Because I had the documents. I mean, Dawn said... You destroy the government's case with their own evidence, their own documents. So those bait-stamped documents, that's how the feds track evidence. So if the federal government sends out a subpoena to J.P. Morgan and J.P. Morgan responds, on the bottom, they put a little stamp, JPM 001, 002, 003. That's how they track it. So the fact that we use bait-stamped federal evidence establishes that the federal government hid evidence before the first trial. They possessed the evidence. So this 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 um, made it difficult for the feds to say, well, that might be some state guy, but we didn't really have that. It's not really a material. We didn't really. So th- having federal evidence was critical to show that Mark Bennett sup- knowingly suppressed evidence of actual innocence. So the second trial is a complete catastrophe for the prosecutors. Their witnesses are caught in lies. Clover pleads the Fifth Amendment. She admits lying in the federal trial. Other witnesses recant. Other witnesses who said that they lied on their loan applications when I actually had the piece of paper and said, well, uh, Lucas Fairfield, look at this. How much money did you say you had? Zero. So you're trying to tell me that you and I are in some scheme to trick banks into loaning you money on a loan application that says you have no money. These banks were doing these zany, what's called NINA, N-I-N-A, no income, no asset loans. Okay. I didn't trick JP Morgan or Citigroup. They knowingly and enthusiastically made these loans and sold them off on Wall Street. So, But the witnesses that were saying, oh, Tony told me to lie. We had all these lies. We had a big meeting about lying. It's a zero. So the documents 
we call her Document Dawn. The see, Dawn said you could grind this out one by one, one count at a time, just grind it out. Um, like it, when I was a kid, Woody Hayes at Ohio State, you'd run the ball three yards in a cloud of dust, mm-hmm. and the next time was three yards, three yards. Okay, just grinding it out, just saying, look, count one, this property, I'm innocent. Here's why. Look at this document. So the witnesses had no choice but to say, yeah, that's my signature on the loan application. The banks, when they could say, well, we don't allow no money down loans, but when you have their program offerings, product offerings, you could say, well, wait a minute, whoa. On page 87, it says here that you have the Argent Advantage program up to $50,000 cash back. Oh, well, uh, we don't do that that often. Whoa, you said you never do it. And anyone who got money back, that was a result of fraud. Now on page 87 in your book, it says you offered it. Why am I supposed to go to jail? Not everybody goes to Starbucks and buys the carbol macchiato, double whip, whatever, no icing, but but they offer it. So it's not a scam if somebody gets it. Just because it doesn't sell that much doesn't mean that people should go to jail. And the other thing Dawn was great about was we went to a bookstore and bought a bunch of books about buying real estate, no money down. So we just threw it at the at the detective. You can arrest this guy. What about, oh, this guy wrote a book about no money. Yeah. This is just a business practice. This is not a crime. This is not illegal. Nobody thinks it's wrong. Anyway, our real estate lawyer testified. Our employees testified. We won the case. Uh, but Dawn was the last witness, right? So Dawn is supposed to come in and talk about government misconduct. Well, when the prosecutors kept seeing evidence that I had that they said didn't exist, no, we never interviewed Steve Newcomb. No, we never, we don't have this. We don't have that. And I kept having it. Remember, I'm in jail. Right. <laughs> so I told the jury, how come I'm in jail? And I have all these government records that the government doesn't know anything about. So, you know, pleading ignorance to their own documents was an ineffective strategy for these for these prosecutors. So, so finally, it's Dawn's turn. And by this time, the judge, Judge Daniel Gall, who thought I was guilty in the beginning, is like, dude, you just got convicted. Why are we having another trial? Why don't you just plead guilty? I just give you a few more years. And I said, Your Honor, I'm innocent. I'm not pleading guilty. And I kept telling him I was innocent. So he can't take a guilty plea from a guy who swears he's innocent. So he's like, fine, we'll do it your way. But you better have a defense because if you lose and you're, this is a two-month trial. I had two two-month trials. If you lose and you're wasting my time and making a mockery out of this courtroom because you want to be on TV or something, I'm going to give you the maximum sentence. Because there's a lot of other cases that I can't adjudicate because you guys want to have this long trial. I said, Your Honor, I I understand. And if I were you, I would say the same thing. But please, I have a really good defense and I I will present it to you. So he said, fine, do it your way. So he originally, you know, probably thought, what's this guy? And then as the trial progressed, he hit the ceiling when the prosecutors were caught in lie after lie after lie. Uh, We don't have this FBI 302 and I've got the 302. Anyway, that's the interview summary the FBI uses. All right. So by the end... The judge is pretty concerned because witnesses had said that they were bullied into pleading guilty, but didn't think they did anything wrong. And I think he recognized that a lot of these mortgage fraud cases were on the bubble with my uh, potential acquittal. He wanted to hear from Dawn. So the government knew that she was on my witness list when I turned my witness list in. They probably suspected she was involved because how do I have all these records? And so they go ballistic during the defense part of the trial, about 30 witnesses. They were going crazy to uh, try to prevent her from testifying. They told me she shouldn't appear. She's got all these personal demons. She's no good. And there's transcripts of us arguing. And I said, well, if she sucks as bad as you guys say, why did you put her in charge of all the evidence in 1,100 cases? Why did you make her your office manager to interact with FBI agents and the U.S. attorney? Why'd you have her wearing a wire? She's so unreliable. And you have her on this high profile case. You guys inserted this lady in. So we'll, we'll let the jury decide. 
So anyway, they were real nervous. They went to her apartment, staked out her place, threatened her, told her to leave. This is all illegal. Witness intimidation, witness tampering. We've got Mark Bennett, Dan Caceres, and FBI agent Jeff Kasuf nailed doing this. Then they went to her parents' house, threatening them. See, they were worried. They didn't know what evidence she had given me or if she gave it to others. And they had given her, I have a sworn statement that we just got about a couple months ago. Don Cleland, the task force office man, uh, the task force chairman said that he gave Dawn hard drives with all of the evidence to take home as a some safety precaution or something. If the task force burns down, we could still prosecute people. So they knew that she possessed all the evidence in 1,100 cases. And they didn't know exactly what she had given me or if she gave this to other people or if she made copies of these hard drives. So they were going crazy to find out where is this? And, you know, first they thought they were going to win the second trial and put me in jail for another 15 years and fist bump each other. Then they thought, oh my gosh, this guy might actually win. We might lose the case. Then they thought, oh my God, we could go to jail. I mean, at some point they were really afraid of what Dawn knew and her personal knowledge and these documents that are widely applicable. So that page 87, where you can get cash back, doesn't just apply to my case, but all these cases. So Dawn calls the judge and says she's feeling intimidated. And he says, look, I want you in to testify. I'm gravely concerned. I want to know what you know. He issues an order it's called a bench warrant that she must appear as a witness. Uh, and she's my last witness. Now, Dawn had given me questions to ask her that were open-ended in nature so that she could expound on things. She said, Tony, if you ask me what time it is, I got to say it's you know, 10 to 2. If you say, what were your concerns about evidence or tell me about this wearing a wire? Dawn was a, a very intelligent person. She's very articulate, but she also was very strong-willed. You know, she had firm opinions. And she wanted to speak. She wanted to talk about what she had experienced and what she saw. And she wanted to make sure that the questions were enabled her to be open-ended and tell the jury and the judge what she wanted to do. And she planned on bringing documents in as well. She said, I'm as a witness allowed to bring documents. I'll bring copies for you. And then you've asked me, what did what'd you bring? So this was a grave threat to these folks. So she's being threatened. The judge says, you must come. She's my last witness. Uh, I talked to her. And I said, Dawn, I'll take you off the witness list. And she said, no, because they know I'm helping you. Uh, even if your trial ends, uh, they would still come after me or I would still be a threat to them. I've got to come in. I'll be a whistleblower. I'll get all this out. I, I, I don't want to be afraid. I want to get this out. And she liked uh, Judge Gall. She respected Judge Gall and said, I think this judge would allow me to speak and let me get this out. And I said, OK, you're the criminal justice genius. I'm not. If you feel this way, fantastic. And she said, you have the questions I want you to ask. And I said, yeah. And she said, okay, don't, don't screw it up, Tony. I said, okay, I won't. Um, and that was the last time I talked to her. Then she didn't come the next day. Sign up for the Planet Fitness Black Card for $1 down, $24.99 a month, and get a free Amazon Halo Fitness Tracker. Deal ends March 15th. 12-month commitment applies. See Home Club for details. So I thought maybe she changed her mind. I didn't know. The judge said she hadn't called the court. So he put off her testimony, but he said, look, we've got to go to closing statements. I'm not going to delay this trial forever. Because um, I said, Your Honor, I have no more witnesses. So she doesn't come. We waited to the afternoon. She didn't come. He's like, we're doing closing statements. The next morning, um, I was in a cell near the court. If there was a jury question or the verdict, I want it to be present, right? Sure. So I'm in a cell. 
And it's a long, narrow hallway. And I would hear sometimes the door at the end of the hallway opening. And that was one of the sheriff's deputies. I could hear his keys jingling. And I, I was sitting on, the, on this hard bench. And I, you could tell if he was opening my cell because he would, you'd see the key go in and turn. And I saw him stop before my cell. And I thought, I mean, the jury had just started deliberating. I'm like, they couldn't have won already, right? So in prison, you can't go to the court if you're a prisoner without being handcuffed. So I put my hands out uh, when he opened the door so that he could just cuff me. And he said, forget the cuffs. And I said, what? I said, did I win? And he said, don't ask any questions. So I thought, well, maybe I, did I win? I, I, I just, I mean, the jury just started deliberating. I just was, didn't know what was going on. So I walked into the courtroom and the court reporter was in tears and the judge's face looked white as a ghost. And I thought, oh my God, what is happening? And um, they announced that Dawn was found dead in her apartment. And I was in a total state of shock. I had just talked to her. She's my friend. She's helped me. We were going to win this case. I, I couldn't even believe it. And then being in jail is awful generally, but it's awful during a tragedy because the jail is the same. Right. So like if you're in the real world and someone passes away, you could go to a funeral or a wake or something. You could talk to people. You could commiserate with others. You can't. Everything's the same. It's the same bologna sandwich. It's the same oatmeal, the same steel door. So it was like, and they later told me that they thought I was going to hurt myself. They took, I was wearing a tie. They took my tie. This guy's going to hang himself. And then they put me in this sort of like suicide watch cell where some guy's constantly opening the door and, you know, uh, and they had me handcuffed so I couldn't hurt myself. Uh, and I said, he said, do you need anything? And I said, can, can you guys please just leave me alone, please? And he said, whatever, you're on this watch. We'll try. And then they opened the door again, like 10 minutes later. Hmm. And then he said, you got to go to court. And I said, what? And he said, yeah, it's the verdict. So they, and I was just, my head was completely spinning. And so then I, they bring me to court and then the jury, the, they start reading them, you know, one count one, not guilty, count two, not guilty. I mean, I couldn't even, I didn't even care. I mean, as crazy as this sounds, right? Right. Because Dawn was deceased. And then I didn't even, at some point after like 26 or 20, I'm like, oh my God, I think these are all not guilty. Did, did I hear this right? And then at like 40, I was like, oh my God, I think there was like 56 of these things. I was like, oh my God, maybe I'm going to win. And then it just. So and then, but then I had this federal conviction. So even though I won, they still put me back in federal prison. Right, you can't celebrate for long. I mean, it's great, but it's it's like, well, not not so great. Right, you think you could go home, but they would not let me out on a pellet bond. They would not let me access attorneys, journalists, people were interested in the case. They started shipping me around. It's called diesel therapy. When you fight the Justice Department, there's just nothing these folks won't do. They ship me around for months on end to transit centers and different jails, Con Air. They flew me to Oklahoma City, uh, what's called a spit bag over my head, handcuffed, leg chain, chained to the guy next to you, uh, put in some van, dark van with no seats, just like a cattle call, and locked in. I mean, it's the most awful experience. And then, of course, I have this overwhelming guilt and grief. You know, I'm profoundly guilty. My God, I shouldn't have brought her to court. What did I do? You know, this lady is dead because of I you know, insisted that she helped me. And so this tragedy is awful. I mean, you know, we could always go start another real estate business, right? But this lady's, Dawn is deceased. She was my friend. I missed my friend. I wanted to ask her advice because she was brilliant. I, I, I felt guilty. I mean, it's just, it's just awful. Right. So then I'm in, then I'm in prison and, and if you're you fast forward yeah. to, to the end, we certainly can, but yeah. just awful. 
yeah, you're, you're absolutely helpless. You can't do anything. You're in this fugue state. Every day, like you said, is the same. Um, and somewhere there, you, you also you're, you're not your poison hour, you're like your guardian angel, your, your avenging angel, you know, evidence, you know, which I'm sure you probably figured would, would tie into the, the, you know, federal appeal or the second trial or whatever, you know, you know, now she's gone, you know, and, and, right. and, you know, from a, perfectly understandable selfish perspective you know that that's got a, that's a punch in the gut too because you had this like oh you know, almost probably had to feel like a theoric victory at that point because it's a it's still a victory but it's like you know you're 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 still being shipped around from federal institution to federal institution uh and you know and and your your best hope you know was just you know maybe epstein you know maybe horrible luck we don't know i mean do we do anyone know what killed her well, cause of death. I mean, I, let I mean, me, yeah, let me tell you what they said. Listen, we've been investigating the U.S. attorney here in Cleveland for literally 15 years. So we've turned the tables on these people and have just been relentless. My private investigator is relentless. And the website that I have is a lead generator. So if anybody ever wants to fight a criminal prosecution, you need to put a website together. Mine is no fancy thing. I think it's a $500 website or something. But to attract information and evidence, a lot of the federal prosecutors and FBI agents aren't allowed on social media and so they're not that prominent on the Internet if you Google their names. So if you blog about them, you get all kinds of stuff. So let me tell you. Yeah. So so by the way, the, the reason Dawn was so credible, just to this real quick, let's say there was an evidentiary hearing in federal court and she appeared. She was just trying to do the right thing. It wasn't like I was paying her. I mean, here's a true idealist. Here's a lady that said, I think what they're doing is wrong. I sat in meetings where I think evidence should have been produced. I'm no rebel. You know, I just feel like court should be fair, that the prosecution should bring their best case. The defense should bring their best case. We trust the jury to decide. And I don't like this games when exculpatory evidence is hidden. So and by the way, Tony's not paying me. I'm just doing the right thing. So it would have been quite dynamic and powerful. And I think people would have identified with her and it would have been something probably too great for the prosecutors to overcome. But the federal judge has been very enthusiastic about shutting my legal stuff down and denying hearings and saying this doesn't matter. But anyway, what happened was this, supposedly. If you read the police report and the medical examiner's report for when Dawn was found dead, she has an extraordinarily high blood alcohol content of almost 0.6. I think it's like 0.59 or something. And the medical examiner said that when her, her father was concerned, Ed Pasella is a really good guy. He's a Vietnam vet. He's, he's three daughters, just wonderful ladies. And, and Dawn was his youngest daughter, and they, they were very close to her. Um, so he hadn't heard from his daughter. He was worried. Uh, the prosecutors had threatened Ed and Karen to come to their house. Uh, but he was worried about Dawn. So he goes there, um, and he asked. He couldn't get in, did knock on the door. He called the local officers for a welfare check make sure she was okay. Six cops show up, which is unheard of for a welfare check. Then they wouldn't let him see the body. They open the door. He finds her deceased. Um, Karen is not allowed to go to the morgue to see Dawn's body. These things were very fishy to them. And then when they met with me and then we put two and two together, it got more wild. But then at the funeral home, the Repepi funeral home here outside Cleveland, um, Dawn's face is so disfigured that even with serious makeup, it, it literally didn't look like her. I mean, they it's not that they think there was a switch of a body. They know it's her, but her face was so disfigured that they thought maybe there was a fight. This just doesn't make sense. So, but then they just thought, well, maybe these are just coincidences. So, but, but what happened was we started taking apart the government's version of events 
So for instance, the medical examiner wouldn't give me certain information, but, Ken and, but Ed and Karen is Dawn's family and folks, they're allowed to access information that they wouldn't give me. So we got medical examiner records that included police records that the police say didn't exist. And some of the police records include some crazy things like, for instance, they say that the cause of death when she was found, there was significant rigor mortis 12 to 18 hours earlier. However, we have outbound cell phone calls on Dawn's phone that would have occurred between six to 12 hours after she supposedly was deceased. And nobody thought there was anything unusual about that at the medical examiner or the Parma, Ohio police. The police arrived at 5.41 p.m. And by 6.15, they said there's no foul play. But the police never knocked on any of the doors around Dawn's apartment to ask, did anyone hear anything unusual? I mean, basically, they treated this as if some extremely elderly person just died a a natural death, not a younger 26-year-old lady dying a, a sudden death. And there was no investigation whatsoever. Then we've got other inconsistencies in the, the, the supposed crime scene photos. We've had retired homicide detectives volunteer to take a look, and they found all sorts of inconsistencies, including blood that was sort of found uh, along Dawn's necklace, which was broken, possibly an indication of some struggle. Uh, so there's a lot going on here that indicates quite convincingly that while we don't know exactly what happened, we know that what the government is saying happened isn't actually true. And two smoking guns. One is, and we are working with attorney Kim Corral to dig into this, but somebody apparently requested Dawn's medical records either shortly before or shortly after her death in law enforcement. And we're trying to nail that down, sort of a little bit of an argument with this hospital to get that. And also Dawn had a a two-bedroom apartment. Her second bedroom had her computer. The computer was missing. And the computer contained all these hard drives and all this task force evidence that Don Cleland the chairman of the task force says that Dawn possessed. So there's an issue of, you know, where is her computer? And it's awfully convenient for these prosecutors that Dawn's computer is vamoose. No investigation into this missing computer. So what are we doing? We are, Dawn's family, I mean, certainly me, but more importantly, her family is demanding a new investigation into her death. We are demanding the medical examiner change the cause of death to undetermined. And we start interviewing all these witnesses. We've had members of Dan Caceres' family, a lady named Kelly Patrick, his former sister-in-law, who's married to his brother, has come forward and said, oh, yeah, John Patrick, who's an attorney at at a Cleveland uh, law firm called Reminger, John Patrick has talked about the murder of Dawn Pacella. A lady named Kelly Connors, who had a sexual relationship with Caceres, and then they had a falling out, she contacted us and said, Dan Caceres is always talking about Dawn Pacella years and years after her death talking about the way she looked and what she was wearing, talking about her in a very sexual way, in a very disturbing way to her. So we got all these people. Uh, We've got a government informant that appears to have entered her apartment, wanted to get back in after the death. He wanted to put a teddy bear in her casket, needs to get into the apartment. I mean, there's all these unexplained, unusual uh, facts that put together warrant a new investigation into Dawn's death. What, what, kind of, she what, what, what was her like height and weight approximately? The post-workout glow at Planet Fitness doesn't just feel great. It feels 80s pump-up jam great. Because when you got the glow, there is no stopping what you want to do. And now when you become a PF Black Card member, your glow can be even greater with a free Amazon Halo Fitness Tracker. Get the glow. Sign up for the PF Black Card for $1 down and just $24.99 a month. Bring a friend, enjoy massage chairs, and get a free Amazon Halo View. Deal ends March 15th. 12-month commitment applies. See Home Club for details.
she was very petite. She was five, three, and she weighed a hundred pounds. I mean, she was very petite. Was she a heavy drinker? Is there anything about that there? Well, let me say this. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to be honest. I want to be honest with your listeners. I mean, when I first met Dawn, my one friend said she's going to be the governor of the state of Ohio. She was bubbly and confident and fun. And this whole process of this wearing a wire and seeing all this really caused her, it caused her addiction issues. It, it was a great weight on her. I think that the, the Caceres and Bennett, I think they destroyed her confidence in herself. They, they crushed her spirit. So yes, the answer is this was something that she really couldn't deal with. Right. I mean, it was very hard for her to sort of process all of this sure. and understand what that a thousand time, people are going to jail. Frame? So yes, what, she had. What's the amount of time frame where, and I'm going somewhere where this, what's the amount of time frame when like it, it got hard for her that she started relying on alcohol to time of death? Are we talking weeks? Are we talking months? Are we talking years? I would say probably the last year to year and a half of her life, mostly the last year, it was very difficult because I mean, I mean, the when I saw her the last time, right before I was put in jail, she was fragile. I could tell she was fragile and she was, I, I could just tell this was a great weight on her shoulders, you know. Yeah, but I'm just talking about constitution and a body because 0.59 is more than seven times the legal limit. And somebody, if you're a hundred pounds, you'd have to be, you'd have to be building that in my opinion, listen, I'm not a medical doctor. I'm not really an expert, but you'd have to be building that for years to not have long passed out way before you got to 0.59. And you'd probably vomit a few times, you know, and, and not die to get to a point where you're 0. 0.59 and you pass out or fall down just the right way that you poison yourself. I mean, I what, was there even choking on vomit or? or no, I mean, this is this is this is a great point, Jeff, that you made. I mean, her apartment is immaculate. She's wearing jeans and a nice belt and a T-shirt. She looks like she's ready to go out and grab a cup of coffee. All the she there was a vodka bottle in the trash, but all the caps are screwed on. So listen, if you're bombed out of your mind, you're going to screw all the caps. She was cooking soup. There's soup on the stove. There's no vomit. Uh, it's it just doesn't add up when you no, take this this the, the government's explanation of her untimely death. It, Incidentally, the medical common sense. I mean, I'm sure there's some well, doctors say this could happen in acute alcohol. I get it. But this defies common sense that that a person, a hundred pounds, yeah, they 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 got to drinking more for a year and a half, but you know, at point two four, point two three, you you vomit, you throw up, you get your right. to bed, you put a trash can next to you. You don't keep drinking, die, you not vomit and just die of the alcohol. I mean, I'm sure that happens one every ten thousand times. You know, but but I mean, well, right. And two two other points. One is, listen, Jeff, if I threaten you and then tomorrow you're found dead, like, I mean, someone who threatens anybody who threatens anybody shortly before their death should be a suspect. Right. Or should at least be questioned. There's why, Tony, did you threaten Jeff? What was going on? So that never occurred. That never happened. But the other thing, too, is the medical examiner admitted to me because I went down there and I'm like, look, I'm not trying to be a rebel. I just want to know what do you guys need to reopen this case? And a guy named Dr. Dan Galita, who did the autopsy, he's still there. He told me that if if he knew that Dawn was a witness and subpoenaed to court, that he would have noted it in the file and that he should have been made aware of that. And he said it was very wrong that she was wearing a wire and he was not aware of that. So on one hand, we've got some cracks in the system. Some people appear to be working under some good faith and saying, well, maybe this should be re 
re-interviewed or, or reopened. But then we've got Dan Caceres and his buddies in the Parma police and Mark Bennett, who's being disbarred, but he has a law office in Parma and everyone's buddies with everybody. And so we've got people that don't really want to reopen this case. We do have a gentleman inside the Cuyahoga County. That's the greater Cleveland mm-hmm. County Sheriff's Office that thinks the case should be reopened. You know, again, the problem we have is we need somebody in the government to do something about all this. We need some responsible person with authority to put their foot down and say, wait a minute, we are not allowing in America a Soviet Union style show trial where witnesses are really sexual partners with prosecutors and that office managers are wearing wires to get defense trial preparation and put their foot down and say, this is not how we administer justice in America. And we also need whatever bad stuff I went through. And it was awful for 10 years. Let me tell you, being in prison in the three years before when they were ruining my company and then the little time after I was on house arrest until they finally terminated that, that's nothing compared to what Karen and Ed Pasella have gone through and Dawn's family. Her sister, Christine, says that Dawn was her sister, but also her best friend. I mean, this is awful uh, that someone, and my friends adored Dawn. They loved spending time with her. She was really interesting to talk to. She was fun. She was brilliant. I mean, we really enjoyed spending time with her. And it's, it's just awful that she's gone over what, why? Because JP Morgan only makes mortgage loans that uh, don't have no money down components or some, some BS. I mean, it's, it's, it's awful, but we do need somebody in authority, a federal judge or the justice department inspector general, or some, you know, federal politician to put their foot down and champion this case and say, this is not acceptable. And by the way, don't take my word for any of this. It's all it's all in our evidence locker. And all the evidence of government misconduct is their own documents. It's all Mark Bennett's words, Catherine Clover and Dan Caceres exchange emails ad nauseum. There's all kinds of stuff. Won't repeat some of it here, but plenty of it to read if you want to read. Altering documents inside the prosecutor's office. The stuff these guys put in writing, most attorneys that look at this or like Tony, one attorney said, gee, Tony, I don't even put the grocery list in writing. Why would these guys put this in writing? Why would they say all this stuff? So they, why? Because they feel invincible. They feel that no one will ever look at them and see what they're doing. So we're hoping now between attorney Kim Corral, the Yale Appellate Law Clinic, the possibility of reopening the investigation into Dawn's death, which should happen, and hopefully a hearing in my case, and many other task force victims, other defendants that are coming forward years later and saying, look, I know I got hosed. I want to have a hearing in my case. Hopefully we have some critical mass and that we can, we can, what's supposed to happen in America, petition the government for redress of something that's gravely wrong. But man, I'll tell you, the U.S. attorney here in Cleveland is all in to defend Mark Bennett. I don't think there's anything that he could do that they would not defend him. Now they're saying, well, even if there's perjury, it doesn't really matter. And even if Caceres had a relationship with Catherine Clover. It doesn't really matter. And Tony's guilty. And the second trial doesn't matter. And the Dawn's death is coincidental. And uh, he already filed an appeal. So anyway, the, the government ignores the new evidence. And the, any sense of justice or fairness has been ignored. But that may change. And we have to be hopeful. If I wasn't I hopeful that we... I think, I think so, too. If I wasn't hopeful that we ultimately would be vindicated in the legal system, I wouldn't waste time and energy filing things and and uh, hiring legal counsel or working on this, I would just say, forget it. But we're not forgetting it because A, of what happened to Dawn, but B, because we're right. And at some point, this sort of stubborn refusal to admit error, you know, we're just, we're in this crazy fight to the death. But maybe, um, maybe someone in authority is going to put their foot down and say, this is too much. It's a bridge too far to give the government the benefit of the doubt when there's this much nonsense. And by the way, the FBI claimed that they were unaware of their own records in their own record system. This is the craziest court filing in my case. 
not only Mark Bennett says the lady lied, but the FBI and the Justice Department, and they don't call it lying. They say they, re- they regret any inaccuracies, but they withdrew all of their statements about evidence in my case, claiming that they were unaware of 10,000 documents in their own record system. What is that? And by the way, why doesn't that trigger a hearing? That judge should have, in Pennsylvania, Judge Baxter, federal judge, should have immediately hauled the FBI in and said, whoa, you're telling me you've been lying for 10 years? Who, who was lying? Why did you lie? Even if you assume that it's not misconduct, the FBI saying that they're not aware of their own records is a threat to the public. What if, what if there's a terrorist running around and, the, and, and some FBI agent wants to check the system? Well, what do we have on this person? Oh, we don't have anything, but they really do. Like what? Even if it's just sloppiness, it's, it's gravely wrong. The other thing, too, is the FBI, Agent Kasuf, he said he listened to the tapes that Dawn Pacella made about our defense trial prep, but he doesn't have many more because he gave them to the task force. So we have, you're probably too young to remember, Jeff, but there used to be a show called Monty, uh, Let's Make a Deal with Monty Hall, okay? And they'd have this shell game where what do you want, you know, door number one or door number two or door number three. Oh, I mean, this, I am. I don't know. You look good. <laughs> I'm 54. <laughs> Oh, okay. All right. So, well, maybe you maybe you look great. Because um, I get to see you on the listeners, I guess, are listening. But, right. but, 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 um, but so Monty Hall, you could, okay, right. right. So Monty Hall, you could have door number one or door. So the, so the FBI was like, well, we, we don't have it in our office. We sent it to the task force. So you can't have it. So the notion that the government could dispossess evidence that's inconvenient is a threat to the constitution. If that's true, and we could just take exculpatory evidence and put it in a different building, then there's no Right. Brady law. There, there's no nothing anymore, right? If you could just move it somewhere else. These are federal records, federally created records that the FBI sent task, somewhere else. It's a task force. We, 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 it's a multi-jurisdictional task force, which we're part of, but we can't possibly get to that. It's, you know, it's, it's those guys. Right. You can't have it. Well, we, it, it, in court, Kasuf, Jeff Kasuf said, well, he could get it because we, we asked him, one of the lawyers asked, well, what if there's evidence? Oh, well, I could get it. Yeah, I could just call and get the Shaker Heights police records or the state attorney general records, but but you can't get it. So this is nonsense. How can you defend yourself? You know, it's already unfair, right? The government has infinite resources. Right. They can put a few more lawyers on. I'm just a friggin' realtor, for God's sake. I'm not like some zillionaire. And then now they possess evidence. You know, Federal Criminal Rule 16 has the force of law. It says any voice recordings with a criminal defendant's voice on it, even if I'm just talking about sports or something, um, should be re- should be produced before trial. Remember, the government is recording me to try to entrap me into admitting that I'm really guilty or, or you know, and so the fact that I didn't and I said I'm innocent is actually exculpatory. So the failure to produce tapes with my voice on it is a Brady violation. It's also intrusion into the Sixth Amendment right to counsel. So they've ignored this for 15 years. So I've been screwing around for 15 years fight, filing all these lawsuits to get evidence that was supposed to be produced in 2009 and 2010. So this is crazy because most Americans don't have, you know, 15 years to kill. They have to put me in jail. There wasn't much else going on to, to engage in this ridiculous uh, litigation to get evidence that they're supposed to produce automatically. Right. No, if you just pled in the in the beginning, you probably would have been, you know, gotten 40 months and done, you know, 18 of them. And you would, you, you know, and but that's not you. you they, they picked the wrong guy and Good, good for you on that. I mean, I'm terribly sorry you have to go through all this and, the, and that your family did and, the, and that poor woman passed away. And it sounds really, really suspicious and really bad timing. I hope this isn't the norm. And the federal government, the Justice Department, if it isn't the norm, they should cop to it and say, this is the norm. We're gonna, not going to stand for it. And if they're worried about all the other prosecutions, 
they shouldn't. I mean, even here in Baltimore, which is, you know, we're a first world city, but only barely. You know, we, we you know, we, we've had, they found a couple of dirty cops and dirty task, for, for, uh, task forces, and most of those prosecutions have been thrown out. And, you know, the, and the, the courts actually issued an order saying, listen, we can't really do much about the past on our own, but we're not going to hear any cases where Officer X is your prime witness or a material witness. And there's no right. reason the federal system can't do the, the, the same thing, and, and, and they should. Um, what you really need is, like, whoever produced The Vow or We Own the Streets for HBO to take an interest and do a, you know, a docudrama on this because, you know, at that point you're going to, you know, you get, uh, you know, good guy Biden has to, you know, turn good guy Merrick Garland on and then do that and uh, and remind himself that, that he's supposed to be a good guy. I mean, there's so much more to this tangled web. I mean, just the whole thing that, that you were embroiled with even before. I mean, at some point, you know, the, the myth was everyone needs to buy a home. That home ownership, that's the American dream. And at some point, the federal government made it subsidized. They made it, they underwrit it through the Fed, through Sally May and all of that. And they got the lenders to do it. And then the lenders, of course, you know, they, they, capitalism always goes wild. And then they, you know, they, they had crazy loan practices. They accepted ridiculous appraisals at times, but then they, they said, Hey, we don't need to stop here. We can cut these up and and make them securities and then sell them as packages. Cause you know, really clever. Doesn't make any sense. No one will know what it was. And then like, like you said, they had to pay multi-million dollar, multi-billion dollar settlements. But guess what happened? A bunch of banks went under. They consolidated. Then in 2017, they got, you know, or maybe they got bailed out once. And during COVID, they got bailed out a second time. So they basically got all the money back that they paid, you know, in, in these settlements. Meanwhile, you're, you're sitting in jail, as you said, a realtor, not even a mortgage broker, not right. a lender, I mean, not, not right. an appraiser. <laughs> Mark Bennett, Mark Bennett said... And the indictments say this, that I sold houses to unsophisticated buyers. Well, in real estate, there's no such thing. I mean, Jeff, can you imagine if you and your fiance came to our real estate office and you were pre-approved to get some no money down loan by some mortgage guy down the street? And I said to you, um, you know, Mr. Lippman, I'm sorry, you you seem like an idiot. I can't really sell you a house. And you said, yeah, but wait a minute, I'm approved up to whatever, this number of dollars in real estate. You can't discriminate against somebody. You can't tell them that they're stupid or unsophisticated. You, you, if they're approved to buy real estate up to a certain point, I mean, I could tell you if you're not approved, you want to see a $400,000 house, but you're only approved to whatever, two hundred. I could say, sir, I'm not going to show you houses you can't afford. But aside from that, there's no basis in real estate. We used to have all this training, fair housing training to say, listen, we have to make sure that even if something as silly as like offering a cup of coffee, if you offer a certain person, you better offer everybody a cup That's of coffee because we don't want anybody to feel, even though we may not intend it. Even more than we that. We don't want anyone to feel that we were treating people differently. So the idea that I'm supposed to tell somebody, man, you seem too stupid to buy a rental property. I don't, we're not really going to show you a house. I mean, Mark Bennett, I mean, he's stupid because of what he put in writing about all this criminal activity that he committed. Um, but he's also stupid because the things he was saying are just not legal. We had a real estate attorney. We did training to make sure that we were, you know, interacting with the public. Because listen, we serve the public. A real estate company, come one, come all, right? I don't know who's coming in our door or calling or what listing we get. We're going to get calls. So we're dealing with inbound calls from folks that we don't know. So we have to treat people the same. So this notion of, oh, I'm the realtor. 
What are we supposed to do? We have two choices, according to Mark Bennett. One, we could fly to the bank's processing center in Chicago and say, hey, wait a minute. Are you guys following all your lending guidelines before you send this deal to the title company? Or we could shut the business down because lenders were making zany loans. Listen, we were in business long before there was these subprime no money down loans and we were successful. We have to operate... In a business capacity, you have to operate in the environment, that not the way you want it necessarily, but the way it is. Like right now, there's inflation, there's challenges. So you have to run your business in accordance with the environment. We are rinky-dink real estate company in Cleveland. We don't affect the national economy. We don't set public policy about down payment gifts and no money down loans and, and securitization of loans on Wall Street. This is crazy. We got two coffee pots and a whiteboard and some pens. I mean, this is we're, we're salespeople. Well, let me help so, you a little bit because- the the least sophisticated home buyers in the world are the first time home buyers, and I don't think there's a state in the union that doesn't have all sorts of incentives for first time home buyers. Transfer taxes are on the on the seller, you know. Right. There's there's waivers, there's different programs. There's a, so there's all sorts of inducements to get the least sophisticated home buyers the 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 best their best home buying experience should be the first time. So yeah, that's all. It's it's like if you pump gas. At, at Shell, and you use you use you use. I'm sorry, you use your Visa card. I need to slow down a little bit. Somehow, the Shell station is supposed to know that Visa overextended your credit limit. You know, it's it, right. it, it, it yeah, it 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 it's nutty. This this story, to you know, you know, even if even if it's close to the way that you depicted it, it it's insane. Uh, you have. One uh, acquittal to your to your name. They they have you out of prison, and they have a you're in this odd stasis where you know you still have a guilty conviction, but you're not treated as being guilty. How can people support you? How can they actually? Because your website's very transparent. You have the detail of the case. You have the history. You have the players. You have you have a section where you can see the evidence. You you have links to everything here. So you know, folks, don't stop here at your at the podcast. Check it out. Look it out. Get involved if you feel like you're someone who's been wrongfully convicted either as part of this or something that seems adjacent, you know, there, there's a chance Tony Viola, he's, 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 he started the roadmap, but tell them, tell them about how they can find you, how they can find out more information, how they can support you. Are you writing a book? Are you talking to Hollywood? I mean, what's going on here? Well, a couple of things. First of all, how can you support, uh, go to free sign up for our email, uh, newsletter, uh, follow me on Twitter, uh, all those links are on the website. Sign our petition on change.org. We want to make history. Why not prosecute a prosecutor who breaks the law? I mean, I agree with you. I think most people are reasonable and don't engage in this type of zany behavior. But Mark Bennett and Dan Caceres did. Yeah. We've got them dead to right using false evidence, imprisoning innocent people, sex with a witness. All this is blatantly illegal, what they did to Dawn. So, you know what? We have a petition on change.org. Let's, let's have them have their day in court. Let's get an indictment and let them in a public forum, explain their actions and why they acted the way they did. That will drive change in our country if we can have accountability. What's did to me is done. I can't undo the last 15 years, but maybe we can stop it from happening to someone else. So anyway, amplifying our message by creating more followers and more interest is also is, is good. Feel free to suggest or comment on our blogs or tell your story. It's not just a, it's not just a Tony story. It's a, it's a story of American injustice. But we, we've learned that the website helps us interact with others. We share ideas. We get information. We have a great private investigator. So maybe you have some thoughts. These mortgage fraud cases were across the country. It wasn't just me. So almost all of these cities, large cities, had task forces to prosecute realtors and, and prosecute some of these cases. And some of them are very seriously flawed. So 
it's a, it's to share information to help others, but it's also to solicit information. But but sharing our petition on change.org creates more newsworthiness of our cause. We're up to close to 5,000 signatures. If we can keep going, it would be fantastic. So we'd like to interact. We don't send too many emails out. You're not going to get one every five minutes, no more than one a month. But and, and it's newsy. We just give you the facts. We don't give you a lot of fluff on the website. This is not so like it's reading not Bombus a, or Wish.com. Right. It's 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 designed for you know intelligent people that want to decide for themselves. Let me see where the FBI says they don't know about their own records. I want to read that. So it's really designed to give information so people can decide for themselves. And it's also designed for investigative journalists. That's the other way to help. The more journalists that look into this, because journalism is really supposed to be a way to hold the government accountable. So members of the public, you know, you're working all day, you got kids, you got family, you got stuff going on. You don't necessarily have time to like oversee what's going on in the U.S. attorney's office. But that's the role of an investigative journalist to hold the government account and tell the public what's going on. So any ideas for for, for to increase our media um, penetration is really important because this has to stop. I can't undo what happened to me, but I don't want this to happen to anyone else. So that's what we're looking to do. Uh, would I write a book and would there be a movie and all that? Listen, if I win the case, I'll have a big megaphone. I'm not self-publishing some book and selling them three at a time. Right. I mean, th- to, to, to honor Dawn's memory properly and have these cases undone and drive accountability and change. And I don't ever want to make this a partisan issue. I don't care politically where people stand. I think everyone agrees that the way Dawn was treated was wrong. It's an abuse of power. So what we want to try to do is find common ground to drive change. Change in America only comes or almost always only comes when there's bipartisan consensus across the political spectrum that, hey, we need to do something. And so that's what we're trying to do in a very fact-based way without this doesn't involve presidential campaigns or whatever. Um, so the answer is, yeah, sure. Book and a movie. Why? To tell the story. So people not just remember Dawn because she was an amazing person. And people, I think your listeners would have liked having a coffee or a snack with her. She's really cool. But also just as, as a cautionary tale for this sort of exuberance that goes on inside law enforcement where we get stuck and into this narrative and we're not going to admit we're wrong. This has to change. These people are extraordinarily powerful and that power has to be used appropriately and judiciously not to imprison innocent people because we don't feel like following the Brady laws. Well, you're extremely brave. You're extremely energetic. For someone who's been through what you've been through, uh, you're, you seem extremely level-headed. Uh, I'm sure there's times that you want to rage and just hit a heavy bag, uh, you know, or whatever people do when they're middle-aged, not break their own bones. Um, but, you know, listen, so this, this is an incredible story. I thank you for sharing it with us. I hope you get pl- plenty of other platforms or that so many people listen to this show that, that you don't need that many other platforms, but that's really not the world that we live in. Uh, unfortunately for me, but for you, I'm sure you'll get plenty of other platforms. Uh, good luck. Thank you. Thank you. And, and folks definitely check out his website again. It's free Tony Um, and thanks for listening to garden views. Uh, tune in again for our next episode and we appreciate any ratings, reviews, five stars and referrals. And uh, as most of you know, my producer editor is not around, so there will not be any outro song. And if there was any issue with the audio, that is completely on me and the folks at Riverside who have this uh, wonderful studio, uh, but it's probably mostly on me. So thank you to everyone. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing your story. Best of luck. And listen, if anything happens, keep in touch. We'd be happy to have you on again.
For sure. Thanks, Jeff. And thanks to your listeners for, for taking this, all, all this uh, information. And we appreciate the chance to be on your show. Thank you.